How do we respond to a song like that except to pray? So please pray with me. Father, you have been faithful to us. We worship you in your consistency, in your generosity, in your grace, and in your mercy. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to do your changing work in us and through us, through the power of your spirit, as we look at your word today. Help us, Lord, to tune in to what you have for each one of us, for our families, and for this church family at large. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you today. If you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. My name is Nick. I'm the senior pastor here. And we have been hearing about this morning through our songs, through our scripture readings, and through our prayers, the faithfulness of God. And that is very intentional as we move now into the third message of our series, which we are calling Renewing Faithfulness. This is a series that we're going through in the book of Malachi. And over the last number of weeks, we've had a couple of good, hard, and confronting passages for us. If you remember way back a few weeks ago in the first message of the series, we were challenged with the notion of spiritual apathy and how spiritual apathy leads us down the road toward rebellion against God. And we were challenged, each and every one of us, to reckon with the ways that we have become apathetic or how we've taken God too lightly. Last week, we looked at the idea of half-hearted commitment to God and When we are confronted with half-hearted commitment or half-hearted worship, we come to realize that really this is no form of commitment or no form of worship at all. And so each of us, we're called in our own right to think about and to repent from the ways that we take God too casually in this sense. And so in many ways, as we've been going through January, we've been going through an internal spiritual house cleaning of sorts. We're sort of letting God's word look at the different parts of our hearts and our minds and the practices in our lives and we're saying, Lord, please clean this up in us because we want to continue to step down the road toward renewing our faithfulness to you. And as you know, our relationship with God is not simply a vertical endeavor. As in, it's just me and him, and the things around me don't really play a part. In fact, because God is everywhere and involved in everything, then my relationship with God involves the people around me, the contexts I'm in, the things that I do, the things that I say. It's not just vertical with me and him. And so it makes sense then as we consider renewing faithfulness, that eventually this conversation would start to branch out a little bit more. And that's where we head this morning. Today, in Malachi chapter 2, we are looking at how our relationship with God relates to our marriages. So I want to ask you to grab a Bible and open with me to Malachi chapter 2. I know that the topic of marriage is one that is different for every single person in this room. Some of us are happily married. Some of us are unhappily married. 
some of us are single and happy to stay single, and other of us are single and desired, desiring to be married. Some of us here are divorced, and some of us in this room today are seriously considering divorce. So when we come to a topic like this, I'm sensitive that all of us come from a very different place of experience and perspective based on our own life experiences. So what does God have to say about it? What does God have to say about the things that I'm going through right now? And how would he prepare me for the future? That's the focus we have in Malachi chapter 2. Specifically with regards to marriage and faithfulness to God. And So turn with me. Are you guys there? Malachi 2, it's on page 801. This is what it says, starting in verse 10. It says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altars with tears, with weeping and groaning because he has no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of his spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife, to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. In Malachi chapter 2, we're reminded of the broader context here. God's people Israel have returned to their homeland. They're reestablished in their way of life. But this way of life was not the way that it was before. They're struggling to be faithful to him. And this has implications for all different arenas of their lives. And as we see here, even in the idea of their marriage. We see in this passage really two problems that have one specific solution. And we might say from the outset that the thrust or the main idea of this passage is that our faithfulness in marriage displays our faithfulness to God. How you are faithful in your marriage in some way reflects or displays your level of faithfulness to God himself. The idea of that is not a foreign concept to us. There are plenty of actions and activities that we go through in this life that display greater commitment or priority or trust beyond that specific action. But did you know that how you and your spouse relate to one another, the type of commitment that you have, 
in a very real way, points to the depth of your faith in the person of God himself. And we see really two ways in this text that our faithfulness to God is displayed in our marriage. And the first is this. If you look at verses 10 to 12, we see that we are called to honor God in who we marry. The Israelites, it says, were marrying the daughter of a foreign god. Now, that's an expression that's sometimes used to talk about idol worship in the Old Testament. But here, it's just like it sounds. The men of Israel were marrying daughters of a foreign nation, and hence of a foreign god. The people of Israel were intermarrying, and in the ancient world, this was specifically prohibited by God for his people. And the problem was not the problem of mixing races. That is not what God has in mind here. The problem is mixing religion. The people of God in the Old Testament were supposed to have at the center of their life, at the thrust and direction of their reality, God the Father himself. At least they were supposed to. And the fact that they would unite themselves to those who worshipped other gods, who lived according to a different goal in life, showed at least an openness to their goal in life, if not just an outright approval of turning away from the God that they knew and toward another God. Now, the words that God uses to describe this reality are not light ones. In fact, they're quite stern. Look with me at verse 10. He says that they are faithless to each other, which means that because of the sins of some in these intermarriages, the covenant of the whole group of people has been broken. The whole of the community of God is going to experience the consequences because some of them are marrying the daughters of foreign gods. They're faithless to each other. He also calls their intermarriage an abomination that happens in Israel. An abomination is a severe offense that violates God's holiness. Now when we stop to think about it, we understand this struggle, right? I mean, after all, there are so many different factors and desires into, that go into the decisions to marry someone. We understand the temptation to look beyond sort of God's guidelines for who we should marry over the fence where the grass might be a little greener. I love the story that Chuck Swindoll once told He said, several years ago, I was speaking at Moody Bible Institute, and a lady wrote me a note saying, I didn't worry about getting married. I did leave my future in God's will. But every night, I hung a pair of men's pants on the bed and knelt down and prayed this prayer. Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant it if you can. 
I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill it with a man. That's a great letter to receive as a pastor. And it was amusing for Dr. Swindoll, so he went back to his home church the next week, and though the idea of marriage didn't have anything to do with his sermon, he said, I have to share this great letter with the people of our church. And so he began to tell the story. And as he did, he looked down to the front pew and he saw a family that he knew, a father and his older son. And mom was absent that day. She was homesick with their daughter. And he recounts telling the story and the father was just cracking up in laughter. And the older son was intensely leaning in and looking in a rather serious nature. Interestingly enough, a couple weeks later, he received a letter from the mother who hadn't been in church that Sunday. This is what she wrote. Dear Chuck, I'm wondering if I have something to worry about. I've noticed that our son, when he goes to bed at night, has this bikini hanging over the foot of his bed. There are a lot of different desires that relate to finding a spouse. So we understand the struggle of marrying someone who is not a follower of God. But hear me, please hear me. Who you marry is not a casual choice. It is quite serious, of course on a practical day-to-day type of level, but it's serious in the spiritual level as well. And so for those of you who are here today and you're single, maybe you're a student and your marriage is far off, or maybe you're single and you're hoping and looking for a spouse, even though God doesn't have the exact same purposes that he had for his people in the Old Testament with regard to marriage, the general core tenets remain the same, and they are this. Number one, through faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, God makes you holy. Number two, Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that in the context of your marriage, he continues to make you holy. And so it stands to reason number three. You would not want to marry someone who is opposed to the person of God or doesn't have faith in him and therefore daily contradicts his purposes for your life. God is doing a work in and through you from the day of your salvation to the day of Jesus' return. And your marriage is part of that work. And that's why we say again and again and again, for those of you who are single, if you're a long way from getting married, if you're very close and desiring to get married, look for a spouse that is a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Your spiritual compatibility is of the greatest importance. And the other types of compatibilities fall in line behind that. Malachi chapter 2, 10 to 12 tells us our faithfulness in marriage displays our faithfulness to God. Now, the second way that we see our faithfulness to God displayed in this text is 
If the first is honoring God by who we marry, the second is honoring God by staying married. The Israelites, in verses 13 to 16, are divorcing their wives. They're pretending it's not that big of a deal, and then they're continuing to worship God like nothing ever happened. And he condemns their hypocrisy in verse 13. Look with me. He says this, And the second thing you do is you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it from, with your hand from favor, with favor from your hand. But you say, why has he not? Because he's a witness between you and the wife of your youth. God loves marriage. He instituted it. He has eternal purposes in it. And when his people get married to another person, he expects that it will last a lifetime. That was true for the Israelites in the Old Testament. And that is true for followers of Jesus Christ today. Listen to the beautiful terms that he used to describe these types of relationships. Verse 14. He refers to the woman as the wife of your youth. You've probably heard it said that Marriage starts out with Prince Charming giving a romantic kiss to the lovely princess. And as time goes on, marriage ends with a bald man sitting across the table from an old fat woman. Maybe you feel like that in your marriage. I hope you don't. He refers to her as the wife of your youth. He refers to her as your companion. He refers to her as your wife by the covenant. All three of these are descriptions that indicate marriage is a long-term, even lifetime, commitment. And he gives some reasons why divorce is sinful here. He gives us two specifically. Look at verse 15. He says, he made you one with a portion of his spirit in your union. We know Genesis chapter 2 says that the two become one flesh, that when husband and wife are married, there is a physical, spiritual, almost mystical union that happens as God brings them together. But even more than that, this phrase, if you look at the text, this phrase, he brought you together with a portion of, of the spirit. That's a very interesting phrase. God brought them together with a portion of his spirit. That is to say, when you get married, we know that your promises are to each other. The vows that you take are to each other. We also know that they are vows. If you're a Christian and you're in a Christian marriage, there are vows to God as well. But that God would bring you together 
that he would create this union with a portion of his spirit is a way to say that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God was actively involved in creating the bond of you and your spouse in your marriage. God was not a passive participant who was sitting back in the wedding chapel that day. He was not one who was saying, it doesn't matter what you promise or who you choose to be your spouse. But God was a real, live, third-party participant in you and your spouse becoming one. Wow. I mean, think about that for a moment. Think about that when he is driving you crazy. Think about that when she says that thing that you hate for her to say. Think about that when the tension of your marriage has built up over the years and you don't know how to resolve it and you just feel like giving up. God, the king of the universe, was active in putting the two of you together and forming you into one. And if that is true, then you do not want to line up against God's will and his actions by tearing the one apart back into two. The second way that we see divorce contradicts God's desires and his plans we see in verse 15. And it's fairly self-explanatory. What was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. We know that God honoring teaching and God honoring examples for parents helps kids come to faith and live a life of faithfulness. Rebellion against God in the context of divorce contradicts his teaching and example and therefore creates a poor example for the children. And statistics bear this out. We won't bore you with them. But the numbers of divorces that come from divorced families are very high. The number of Christian families that experience divorce and then their kids turn away from their professions of faith are also very high. Verse 16 drives home the point. And it sounds slightly different depending upon which Bible you're holding this morning. If you're holding the Pew Bible in front of you, the ESV version, this is what it says. It says, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and not be faithless. In other versions, some of you might be holding a New King James Version or a New American Standard, it says this. It says, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Now without getting into the translation issue, why does it sound different in the different translations? The point is the same. God loves marriage. He hates divorce. And when his people actively rebelled against him in this way in the Old Testament, it covered their garments with violence. That is to say, God, because of their decisions to leave their spouses, he, 
he not only removed his favor from them, but he actually stood as a witness against them. When God tells us that he hates something, his goal is to emphatically warn us against such actions. Our faithfulness in marriage displays our faithfulness to God. Our faithfulness in marriage displays our faithfulness to God. And he's warning us in this sense. Don't go down that road toward leaving your spouse. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this type of encouragement and this type of warning? Well, he tells us in verses 15 and 16, there's a repeated phrase there. It's almost the resounding call of response. He says, guard yourself and your spirit and don't be faithless. Guard yourselves and your spirit and don't be faithless to the wife of your youth. Guard yourself and your spirit and don't be faithless. Period. Renew your faithfulness to God and for some of us, that's going to mean renewing our faithfulness to our spouses as well. Now, we need to insert a caveat here. Because I know that the tension of the room for some of us is thick. And that is, the New Testament, of course, allows for two specific instances of divorce. Some of you are here today and you're divorced. Uh, and in the New Testament, we see marital infidelity is a legitimate reason for a spouse to leave. And we see abandonment is another one of those reasons. And so if you feel like, man, I had to go through the pain of a divorce and now God is really piling it on on top of that. And you fall into one of those two instances and we would consider abuse to be part of abandonment. Then please know that this is not applicable to you in the same way. But for those of you who are in a happy marriage, or for those of you who are in a struggling marriage, you need to know very clearly our faithfulness in marriage displays our faithfulness to God. So guard yourself from becoming faithless. How do we do that? Well, the text doesn't say. But here are some practical wisdom issues for you to consider. If you're here today and you're single, there's really two application points for you. I was joking with Darla before the service today. And Darla is single and comfortably single. And I love that about you. It says, the application is if you don't get married, you won't get divorced. <laughs> True. If you are single and desiring to get married, choose who you marry very carefully. Even in seasons of loneliness or desperation, wait upon the Lord God. I cannot relate to the difficulty that comes with longing for a spouse. I got married when I was 22 and have been married ever since. But I've known many people who have compromised their godly standards in a season of loneliness or even desperation and married someone based on other points of compatibility, but not 
a person who is a follower of the Lord Jesus. And the unforeseen difficulties that come with that, the unforeseen difficulties that you don't think about in the moment as one person desperately desires to please and honor God and follow him with their life, and the other is indifferent or even opposed to it. I've had so many people over the years come back and say, I love my husband, but this is so hard. And I just don't know what to do. Choose. If you're single, just honor God with who you choose to marry. If you're divorced, and if you're divorced for reasons outside of marital infidelity or abandonment slash abuse, like we talked about a moment ago, you might hear a text like this. And you say, maybe for the very first time I'm realizing how seriously God takes these decisions. The hurts and pains and difficulties of the moment were intense for me. I had to get out. I needed the release. But now you hear words like, God is a witness against you. And your garments will be covered with violence. And you say, I don't want that. But it's too late. I was divorced ten years ago. What am I supposed to do with this? Now, please know that for as much as God hates all of our sin, even our sinful divorce, the same God also freely offers his grace and his mercy. If you're here today and you look back on your life and you say, I was divorced and it was a situation in which I was sinning <laughs> in an ongoing way. The same God who warns and corrects is also the God who is merciful and gracious. And so for you, what do you do with a passage like this? The good news of the gospel applies to you. You take the fact that God desires to forgive you of your sins and bestow upon you his grace to do that, you need to recognize your sin in the first place and repent of it. Ask God for forgiveness. Secondly, you seek reconciliation. Some of you have been divorced for a very long time and you're not married and your spouse isn't married. If you want to get remarried, the God of the universe is more powerful than 10 years of distance. It sounds and seems impossible. Just a couple years ago, I had the wonderful opportunity to remarry a couple who had been divorced for four years. You want to talk about a testimony to the gospel, a powerful picture of what God does when two people are submitted to him. For some of you, that's not the case. You're remarried or your spouse is remarried, and the call for you is to live in faithfulness going forward. But for the single person and for the one who has already been divorced, this passage has implications for you, but the real aim of this passage, where this passage really just sort of zeroes in on, on you, are the ones of you who are married right now. Whether it's a happy marriage or whether it's a struggling marriage, whether you know you're locked in for a lifetime or whether you have considered or are considering divorce. And the resounding call of the text is guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. How do we do that? Let me give you four quick points. Four quick ways to guard yourself from walking down this path. Number one, be
be quick to forgive and quick to ask for forgiveness. As someone who sits uh, in my chair and meets with people in struggling marriages from time to time, so often I talk to people who have years of hurts and wrongs that are built up between them and their spouse, and they've just never been addressed either because they don't want to deal with it at the time because it hurts too bad or they don't know how to address it. And forgiveness has never been asked for and never been extended. And eventually that hurt turns into bitterness. And then one day you wake up and you just don't have a desire to endure it any longer. And so the way that you guard yourself from finding, finding you and your spouse in that place is don't sweep issues under the rug and be quick to forgive and quick to ask for forgiveness. And might I say, even use those words. It's, it's one thing to say, I'm sorry. But it's another thing to say, will you forgive me? Another way to guard yourself. Guard your desires. Whether they're emotional or sexual, do not go looking to have them met outside of your spouse. And in fact, set up practical and uh, a variety of safeguards to prevent that from happening. Pornography, chat rooms, seemingly innocent flirting with a coworker, all lead to fueled desires outside of our marriage. Number three, how to guard yourself. This goes without saying, and yet we seem to struggle with it so often. Be careful about how you interact with members of the opposite sex at any age. I'm not a person that believes you can never be friends with a member of the opposite sex. But I do think that we need to be very careful about the types of interactions that we have. Because it's so easy to develop feelings that you've never intended to have. I've had to tell men or tell women to cut off email communication with a member of the opposite sex. Or texting one rule of thumb would be to never have a type of communication with a member of the opposite sex that you wouldn't want your spouse to hear or to be a part of. Guard yourselves in that very simple and practical way. Number four, keep God in the center of your relationship. One way you guard yourself of becoming faithless is continue to actively be faithful. Talk about him and the things of him, pray together, read the scriptures together, even volunteer to serve the Lord together. After all, he is the one who actively brought the two of you to become one. And finally, number five, how to guard yourself. Some of us might be here and we're so far down the road in marriage where we feel like there's just no turning back. But know this, when it feels like it's hopeless, Know that the same Spirit of God who brought you two together is the Spirit that can keep you together. If God gives a portion of his Spirit in making you one, it's that same Spirit that keeps you together for a lifetime. The obstacles of marriage are significant. One of my mentors once told me, if two people submit themselves to God and they work at loving each other, Nothing is impossible to save. Because our faithfulness in marriage displays 
our faithfulness to God. So guard yourself. Guard yourself from becoming faithless. Let me close with this. I enjoy uh, reading about Henry Ford. Talk about a fascinating individual. And one time Henry Ford, on his 50th wedding anniversary, was asked for the rule of marital bliss, to which he replied, just the same as in the automobile business, stick to one model. Let's pray. Lord, you're good to us. Your gospel is powerful. It changes our lives and it changes our marriage. Help us to be faithful to you and honor you in our marriage. Lord, for some of us, the word today is a light encouragement and reminder. Things are going well. For some of us, it touches on a place of very deep pain. And we pray for all of us that your spirit would do your work, Lord, that we would be found as a people submitted to you wholly, fully, and desiring to be faithful. Help us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.